Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. We are very happy to have you with us today. Please stay with us for this hour as we endeavor to open the Bible again and uh, look further into God's mission and my mission. And we are going to learn today a bit more about the mission to my neighbor. I'd like to say hello to our panel today. It's good to have with us Jerry. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello, Joe. It's good to have you part of this too. Thank you, Nick. Uh, always good to be here. Brenton, thank you for joining us. Nick, it's a privilege and uh, I can't wait to get our teeth into this subject today. Elijah, <laughs> it's also good to have you part of the discussion. Thank you. I'm very grateful. Len, it's good to have you with us too. Thank you for joining. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the program. Will, it's good to have you with us today, and I would like to say from the beginning, thank you for uh, working hard on putting together this important, interesting uh, Bible study. You are going to facilitate the discussion today. Welcome yes. to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's been challenging, but uh, challenging myself mainly. Let's just uh, make a start, Will, if you could uh, guide us through. In the cities of the world, and especially in country towns, we hear of very supportive communities, neighbours that uh, proverbially look out for one another. You know, this is particularly true during the time of natural disasters. I found that at those times, Australians are quick to reach out and deliver food, practical aid and friendly hand to those in need. And this is really heartwarming. Neighbours who soon become friends and care for each other. A neighbour by the biblical definition is not only the person living in our street or our suburb. It is anyone, regardless of culture or creed, whom we can support and help. It's almost overwhelming when we realize that on a global scale, there are so many hungry, needy, and mistreated people enduring emotional and uh, financial hardship today. Overwhelming, yes, but we can all do our part, however small, uh, however small it might seem to be. We're not going to solve all the world's problems before Jesus returns. We haven't been called to do that, in fact. But until then, our work can be as basic as helping someone we know whose life is not sailing smoothly or have enough food. It might even be so close to home as helping a member of our own family or denomination who is facing injustice, even some bigotry. Yes, bigotry, which remains a real problem in our world even today. We know that the Lord calls us to be good neighbours, but we need to the help of heaven to be effective helpers and witnesses. And it, this is what we plan to address today. And I want to ask Len if you would pray for us, please. Yes, dear Father in heaven, today we have the task of presenting Christianity in its proper perspective, whereas we are called not only to love you, but to love and respect our fellow man. We pray that your blessing will be on this program today. May the Holy Spirit give us the words to say, the thoughts to think, 
And may the Holy Spirit also be with each of our listeners. With these thoughts, we want to say thank you. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 I found a a little statement from a pastor in West Virginia, Pastor Scott Pauley. He's an Anglican priest, I understand. And uh, he writes just days ago, I walked somberly through an exhibit that showed the horrors of Auschwitz. It was a stark reminder to me of how hatred consumes darkened hearts and how much pain it can inflict on others. We all would do well to remember that in these days. Near the end of the very graphic displays, there was a section that captured my attention. On the walls before me were testimonials of how friendship, friendship enabled the survivors of that terrifying place to endure such hardship. One survivor of Auschwitz said, friendship made a difference, taking care of someone other than yourself. If you did not have a friend, you did not have a zeal for life. Another said, you had to have a partner, a partner to take care of you, and you take care of him. You had to have someone to help, because if you stood by yourself, you couldn't survive. You didn't survive. They were those who didn't want to share anything, and those were the people who went first. That's the end of the quote of what he read on the walls there at Auschwitz. The pastor carries on by saying, in a world of wickedness and a time of terror, everyone needs a friend. When enemies are everywhere, it is vital that we concentrate on the friends God graciously gives us. Solomon wrote, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that uh, is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. That's a statement from Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 to 12. Scott Pauley continues, There are so many blessings associated with friendship, partnership, joy, support, help, strength, accountability, and a hundred other benefits. Yes, everybody needs a friend. And then he asks, How can we be the friend that both we and others need? Now, there's something Uh, that we might say lies at the very essence of effective ministry to our neighbor or those who need help. Perhaps, panel, we could talk about this first. Len, we pick up a lot from a conversation between Jesus and a rich man who posed a big question to the Lord. What is that question and what primarily does it teach us? All right, well, this particular individual was an expert lawyer and it says in the gospel of luke chapter 10 and i'm going to read the first few verses 
says on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Now, this is a question that as Christians we must give consideration to. First of all, what does the word love mean in this context? Jesus went on to tell a story about a traveller who had been robbed and various people went past. The first two ignored him. The third one was a foreigner who took care of him. This uh, Samaritan foreigner didn't know this man. He had no previous acquaintance with him, but he cared for his needs. Now, the Greek translation of love can be one of four. And what we're talking today about is what's called agape, love in the sense of being, of having goodwill and respect to other people. Agape love is not so much concerned about one's self, but it's concerned about other people. So if you stop to help somebody, perhaps they have a flat tire, that's agape love. You may not know that person. You're just doing it out of goodwill. And the uh, what we're going to be talking about today is how this works in the life of a Christian. In the first letter of John to the churches, chapter 4 and verse 20, is this statement. It says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. In other words, there's a contradiction between his words and his actions. It goes on to say, he who does not love his brother, that's simply a fellow human being whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So there's a big challenge here. How do we relate to the people around us if we profess to be Christians? I'd just like to read from the book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14, and it says this, All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. And this is the word, it's actually a sentence. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. So what we're talking about here is we who profess to love God, if we don't love our fellow human beings, we're absolute hypocrites, and God forbid that any of us should be like that. I'm going to dare to ask the big question about our life on earth. What is the true meaning or purpose of our very existence here on earth? Is there a greater purpose than just working to make a living for a family or having a good life? 
Could there be another reason for which I'm ushered into this world's history? What do you think? You know, I suggest that um, Solomon had a very interesting definition of life in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 24, where he said, there is nothing better in life than to eat and drink and be satisfied with your labour. And he repeats that um, statement or that idea repeatedly will throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Looking at it in isolation, you could suggest that maybe that's a little bit, yeah, I can see the the, the value in it, but isn't that a little bit self-centred? I don't believe Solomon was saying that. I think he was really saying that contentment in what you do is of vital importance. But then I go to what Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 27, when he was talking to his disciples in the upper room where he said, I am among you as one who serves. And then yet again in Second Corinthians 5.17, Paul points out that we are ambassadors. We are to reconcile people to God. So if you put all of those together, <clears throat> the satisfaction you find in your work, the service that you provide to others, Someone said, and I found this rather interesting, they said that um, what is the purpose we've been placed on this world for? And their answer was life is a proving ground. Well, you know how the proving ground works? The proving ground works by helping others. You develop your character, you develop your unselfishness, and you develop your concern for others by being involved in, in helping them. I don't mean just on a, a low-level will. I mean on, a, on a, a deep level because as you get to know people, you become friends with them. So I wonder how this would work in the current situation that's going on over in Israel at the moment. That, that would be very interesting, but we're going to be discussing the Jews' attitude towards others further in the study, so I'll leave that to others to deal with. But I just found that that particularly interesting. I'm particularly taken with Second Corinthians five seventeen, that we God is calling us to be. We are His ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. I believe the purpose that we are here is to help people physically, but more importantly, I believe to help them spiritually to know Jesus, so that they are saved in the kingdom of heaven, just as we are praying for for ourselves. Most certainly, Brenton, um, we should help others into eternal life. And only love and concern for them, a God-given love and concern, can bring them to our attention. And how can we be mindful to take advantage of whatever opportunities come our way is something that has always uh, tugged at my heart, even if the circumstances are not ideal. If some should not inherit the kingdom of God and um, have any finger to point to me that I neglected the opportunity of helping them. At, uh, yes. I think you said something like that in a previous program as, as well, Brenton. Um, there is something will for that that's important. I've put in my uh, <clears throat> notes as I've considered um, our study for today, Sometimes we have to create the circumstances. And I'm thinking of an example that Jesus used in John chapter 4, where he actually went to someone who was considered to be a bitter enemy of Israel and asked her for a drink of water. 
Now, that might seem like a pretty simple sort of a thing, but it led ultimately to the conversion of the whole village that this woman lived in. Sometimes we have to create the circumstances uh, to bring it about and pray that God uses the little that we can do and the opportunities that we see or make that he can use those to his glory. Yes. Uh, Len? On this particular subject, I have a big regret. Um, Some years ago when I was in business, I had a visitor come and see me one day. He pulled up in his car in the car park and walked into my place of business. I'd never seen this guy in my life before, and he wanted to talk. Now, sometimes people wanting to talk when you've got to earn a living can be a big nuisance. And I suppose I wasn't as charitable toward him as I should have been because I needed to get on with work that I needed to do and he wanted to talk. But anyhow, he told me that he had terminal cancer and only had a week or two to live or a few weeks. He told me about it and I sympathized with him and then he left. And I thought later on, you silly idiot. I was talking to myself. (laughs) I should have taken him into the office and I should have prayed with him, but I didn't. And that's helped me actually be more aware of other people's needs that I might be of assistance to them. And sometimes that assistance is physical. They may need food, help, money even. But very often it's emotional or spiritual assistance that people need. Yes. And we need to be aware of the opportunities that come up, like this one that I neglected to act on. To the story of Len Shell, I hope, Len, that that was an angel. You know, was not uh, maybe a, <laughs> a real person in need, because indeed we can miss out so many times, so many opportunities when people really need us. But we need to be waken up. And if a situation like that can wake us up, that's a good thing. I believe this is a problem, particularly in the Western world, not only, but mainly, because uh, we are so focused on uh, uh, providing for ourselves, you know, to be self-sufficient. I grew up in a communist country. I've been in very poor places on this earth. Those people are uh, feeling with each other. Now, the time is as valuable for them as for us here. There's no difference. But we choose to use our time or the time which God gave us in the way we want to use it and missing out so many opportunities. I believe this is a very important wake-up call. Yes, Lydia? Uh, so will you ask the question, what is the true meaning or purpose of our very existence here on earth? I think we have to be the hand and the foot and as Job was for his people around him. We are not here to live only for ourselves. We are here on this earth to live for others. Yes. In everything we do to live only for others. Very valuable there. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I often think about how do I process the fact 
that there will be those opportunities lost, as Leonard said, irretrievably, simply because we didn't consider the, uh, the circumstances ideal at the time. Uh, Brenton said something very interesting. Sometimes we need to create the opportunity. Yes, I'm a firm believer in that. Jerry? I think also we all, uh, the Holy Spirit prompts us sometimes to mm. Mm. to be Great. proactive in the sense that uh, you might get an impression, pick up the phone, speak to somebody, go and visit them. Um, if you don't act on that, on that uh, prompting, then it uh, may be too late. You might not get a second chance. So, yeah, I think we, we have to be proactive in the sense that if you have to wait for the ideal circumstance to arrive, it may never arrive. Yes. Um, you know, Jerry, while you were talking, it made me think that we could get so busy concentrating on our own little wants and needs, yeah. we really don't look across the fence and see if there is anybody else that really needs us. Brenton? We'll just um, comment on this stepping outside. I remember a friend of mine um, who I'd spent a lot of time working with. She was an Indigenous person, and her cousin was going through a pretty difficult stage. She had had her children removed from her, and um, Serena said to me um, that she wasn't doing too well. And it was one of those situations, I think, that Jerry was referring to. I actually went to see her. She had been drinking and she was in a very agitated state mentally. She was crying and screaming at me and doing various other things. And eventually I was able to have prayer with her calm her down and have prayer with her. I'm glad I did because I don't know. Two days later, Serena rang me and said she'd hung herself in the shed. You you just don't know what, what Jerry was saying. When you were prompted by the Holy Spirit to do something, do it. Don't don't have second thirds or um second guessing. If if you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to ring somebody or um, talk to somebody or visit somebody, do it because you can rest assured that the Holy Spirit who knows everything will know the circumstances of the person that they're directing you to. You don't know the circumstances, but you'll find them out when you get there. And um, then you were doing what we call today a divine appointment. When the rich young lawyer approached Jesus, he was asking about what he should do to be saved. And it's interesting that Jesus referred the seeker, the rich lawyer, to consider what he had read in Scripture. He pointed him to the written word. So perhaps I should ask, how vital is the reading of the word in the plan of salvation? Well, I would say that it is very important. Um, Yes, God's word is vital to salvation, um, and it also gives impetus to reaching others. You know, spending time in Scripture opens up another realm, another sphere to us. Uh, life is more, as has been mentioned, more than just rushing about doing all the things we need to do. There is far more to life than meets the eye. And Scripture opens our eyes to this. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us that every part of Scripture is God-breathed 
and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. And that comes from the message. Spending time with God in his word has a transforming power. Our life, mind and hearts will be changed. We will find the answers we need to find joy and happiness, a purpose and a direction. We will come to value the things which have true worth and let go of rubbish which has trapped us, reject beliefs which are wrong, free ourselves from hurtful practices. We will be given understanding and discernment. And all this and more through God's power. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 119 verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now this path will lead us to fulfillment here on earth and promises of eternal life. We will come to know our Saviour and Redeemer and appreciate his works of creation, provision, judgment, deliverance, his covenant, his promises, and deepens our understanding of God's big picture as opposed to our own small world and how we fit into it. With God's word for a lamp to guide us, we will avoid many trip hazards and mistakes too. You know, in his prayer recorded in John, the Saviour said, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, John 17, 3. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. His way is sure, and his path is open to all. That path is found in his word. The lawyer understood much, had all this knowledge, but one thing was lacking. And Jesus was about to address this with his next comment. How readest thou? The lawyer might have thought knowing was enough, but was it? Yeah, that's certainly, you know, after Jesus had pointed the lawyer to scripture and the young man had answered correctly, Jesus says something very interesting. He challenges him to do something. Uh, Jerry? Yes, indeed. Um, Do this and you will live, Jesus says. Now, actions speak louder than words. Uh, James says that faith without works is dead, but should we love God and our neighbor simply because the Lord tells us to do so? Because it's our duty? What motivates us to love God supremely and our neighbor as ourself? Doesn't it come from an understanding of the loving character of God as described in Exodus chapter 34 verses 6 and 7? I'll just read that. It says there, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And all of these uh, qualities of God and uh, the characteristics of God, he exercises towards us. We are all recipients of all these things. So to reflect on this kind of love, we can only, you know, can only come from the heart and understanding that every human being is a child of God. This kind of love then becomes your second nature when you see the value of every human being. And we sing a beautiful hymn in our church. It goes, "'Tis love that makes us happy. "'Tis love that smooths the way. "'It helps us mind. "'It makes us kind to others every day. "'If we are kind to others, if we do, and not just talk, but if we do the works of love, 
prompted by a heart that has been changed into the into the image of our creator then it it makes us happy as well as the recipient so it's beneficial both ways it makes perfect sense doesn't it Brenton two points here uh, will that i find interesting the fact that he was able as <coughs> joe and jerry have said to answer the question himself uh, jesus said to him what is in the law how do you read it and he was able to answer it it was almost like rote i mean he was a lawyer after all as len said earlier on but the second point do this and you will live as jerry said he sees himself as actually breaking the law he could answer his own question but because he wasn't practicing it which we'll get to a bit further on in the story he he actually is revealing himself as being a lawbreaker but the other point that's interesting do this and you will live puts jesus on vantage ground with the pharisees and scribes remember they've got this guy to ask the question in order to trip him up but christ is actually referring back to the old testament to the book of leviticus and deuteronomy and he's saying how do you read the scriptures? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and your neighbour as yourself. Yes, says Jesus, do this and you will live. That means he's on vantage ground with the Pharisees. They're trying to trip him up. But in actual fact, he's showing his respect for the law and his respect for what God has put in place. So the fact that he was able to answer it himself uh, puts him in the situation where we come to the the uh, the question that he asks next. Yes. Isn't it interesting how we can distance ourselves yes. from people's needs? I, I've prayed for years a stock prayer when I, when I pray over my food, bless those that do not have. And I go on and, um, I've, I've recently started asking myself the question, why do I ask the Lord just to bless people? Uh, that do not have food, what am I going to do about that? And the, the lawyer might have known what to do, but doesn't do it. It wasn't, wasn't agreeable, Will. Yes. James 2, verse 15 and 16 uh, asks an interesting question. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? You know, I can perhaps ask the panel, helping the needy, should we only help to win them to the Lord? Should we help them if they have no interest in Christianity? Well, recently my wife and I were overseas and we spent some time in England and in Germany. And particularly in Germany, there were lots of these refugees from Africa hanging around, and the area where we stayed was a hotel district in Frankfurt, and uh, we were warned, don't go out at night. There's a whole lot of hotels in this area. And a lot of these people have come with the hope of a better life. Mm-hmm. That better life hasn't come for them, and they turn to drugs and alcohol, and uh, many of them are homeless. Now, just before we left Germany, it was announced on the TV news that Germany is reconsidering 
what refugees and how many refugees it'll take. Italy has stopped taking refugees. Mm. There reaches a point where one is unable to do any more. Mm. Um, you, you just don't have the resources and there are, there has been some talk about Germany's economy is collapsing and Italy's trying to prevent it. You know, Jesus had something to say about this. I suppose most of us have been bitten is the term by somebody who just wants charity and doesn't want to work uh, for their living. There are genuine and ungenuine cases. So there is a point where one has to give a lot of consideration to who and how they get help. If there's somebody in genuine need, whether we know them or not, whether we uh, are making a uh, an effort to save them or not, doesn't make any difference. If they're genuine, then we are expected to help, whether they accept the Lord or not as a result. That's not up to us. Yes. And initially, if they're genuine, we should help them. If they're not genuine and we discover that, then we just cease helping them because they're just uh, taking advantage of people with good hearts. I might say that even those that are that are taking advantage, we decide not to help financially. All are still needy for salvation, and we need to remember that. Just a quick comment, Will. Uh, I think... Uh, what um, Len has just said is, is quite uh, legitimate. We have uh, real concerns about uh, some people's motives, for sure. What I think we need to remember, though, is that um, uh, we have to be careful not to close our heart. And by that I mean helping and trying to give and relieve the sufferings of others it should be a second nature for every one of us, I think. And... Um, and we could find all kinds of reasons why not to act. But um, I, I hope I'm never in the position where I become so hardened because of the situation uh, and because of the exploitation that you see all around you and the abuse that uh, I just start turning the other way every time. I, I want to be able to help people. I want that to be who I am. Uh, but at the same time, as, as Len rightly points out, you have to be conscious that, uh, that there are people who will take advantage of you, yes. of your good nature, so to speak. Well, Jesus um, never turned anyone away. As far as we know, Scripture has recorded that Jesus didn't send anyone away, even those who weren't entirely genuine. However, I believe that God gives us discernment as to where our limited resources are best used. And another comment is that helping is more than just giving people what they want, um, but rather what they need most. And, you know, there's a, we don't help people just because we want to bring them to Christianity. Like it's already been said, helping people, um, along the way. And I like the analogy of a match. If I think that 
think of each person as a match that's lit. And our lives are such a short time. You know, it, it blows, goes out even before we know it. And a match kept on its own, you know, just holding a match just dies without any, anything happening. But if you use that match, you can light a fire. You can light a huge fire. And if we think of it in terms of the gospel, you know, we can help others, but also what they need most and they don't know that they need most is Jesus. Mm. Um, because you can help them. You can give them new car, a new house. You could help them with their health if you, whatever it is. But if they don't have Jesus, they really have nothing. They have nothing because all this passes away. So, you know, may my life be a match that ignites someone else you know that that there's a little fire that happens and that spreads and a a good type of fire not a bad one yes nick you had a comment i just wanted to um say a few things here because i believe this is very essential for our um, discussion you know uh, mission to the uh, neighbor yes we can come up with all those things and even justify our actions the bible says um God said that I gave you the poor that your faith may be tested. Now, we have to think of this because indeed in the world there are lots of people with different uh, circumstances and even intentions, good or bad. But we are chosen to represent God. And for us, it's important to stand for the principles which God showed us. Now, governments and other people are in place to deal with uh, other situations, with corruption, for example, with uh, all sorts of influences. But we are also called to be wise. Like Solomon, he was trapped, you know, like uh, two ladies come to him, you know, to and <clears throat> they were trying to, to bring it to their side, you know, the story. We need to be wise. We We don't need to just throw help like that and and say to ourselves i did my good part because then we pe- we may be guilty i decided myself even back home in romania where there was a lots of need when i after i came to the lord that when i help somebody i will try to understand the condition how can i help not only give the money or whatever means material means and then say i did my part I was trying to identify with the person and see what's the need. And many times people will come and say to me, give me this amount of money because um, I lost my wallet or somebody stole my wallet and I need to get, reach home. And I learned that I didn't give the money, but I said, come with me and I'll buy you a ticket to get home. And many times they will say, oh, thank you. Sorry, I, I'm busy. I have to do something else. If you cannot give me some money now, I have to go another place. You see, you need to identify the situation because there are people who can use you. Yes. Brenton? I would just add to what Nick said. <coughs> uh, when we were worshipping at the Adelaide City Church, uh, I had people coming to the church regularly uh, seeking help, sometimes money, sometimes food. Um, one particular gentleman came there and, um, he wanted to go to Murray Bridge to see his uh, mother, who apparently was uh, terminally ill. It sounded like a good story. 
I had my suspicions as to whether it was true or not, but I took him round to the terminal will and I bought him a ticket. And uh, as I left, Lurleen said to me, my wife, she said, um, I think it would be worth going back in five minutes just to see what happened. So I went back in five minutes later and I went up to the guy that I bought the ticket from and he said, just after you left, he brought the ticket back in again and um, cashed it. So there was no genuine need there. I caught this same person out on another occasion where he wanted petrol money to go to Western Australia. And so I gave him money to put petrol in his car because he had a court case pending over there. Unfortunately for him, two weeks later when he turned up at the church again, I remembered and I said, how did your court case go in Western Australia? And uh, sort of caught him out. I, I think we have to prioritise needs. We're living in a society now where there is a lot of um, poverty uh, and I believe, Will, it's going to get worse. With the way interest rates are going and the way people are struggling to put food on the table and uh, those sorts of things, these these situations that we are talking about practically today are actually going to get worse. How are we going to deal with them? How would God have us to deal with them? They're the questions that we're going to have to front up to. Are our resources enough to be able to deal with them? The answer to that is probably no. So, therefore, you have to do the best you can and just ask the ask the Lord to help you to see uh, the needs that are, are the greatest so that you can deal with those first. Because when you look at Christ's life, we are told that in many places, he healed everybody, but I'm sure there were situations where he was walking along where not everybody in the in the crowd um, had been healed, uh, such as the woman who had the um, issue of blood and other things. Um, it seems to me as though we need that divine guidance to help us to be able to see the needs of those around us and to be able to apportion what resources we've got in the best possible way. Yes, as uh, Joe has said, we need that discernment. But, you know, when you think about it uh, and read uh, Luke chapter 10, you find that there's something that is uh, that is central to being a positive and effective neighbour. Um, Lydia, would you like to tell us whether it is really possible for us to love our neighbour as ourselves. I would like to read the verse uh, in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. And Jesus' answer to the, to the expert in the law, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love the neighbor as yourself. So as we observe here, there are two commandments here. One is to love God. And um, the first one. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not easy to love your neighbor as yourself. But because I love God and I serve a, a God, the only God, God's character is going to be implanted in my character. So I will act exactly as a second, second nature. And we know that uh, Jesus 
helped people in many, many ways. Uh, physically, materially, we need to help people, uh, especially to bring them hope in their heart, to ease their soul, because many people are burdened and they cannot find the end of the line. They cannot find hope or light the end of the tunnel. So we shouldn't be the ones that look after their physical needs, but also, also to look them after the the, the soul needs kind words, deeds of benevolence, tender regard to the poor, the needy, the afflicted, the, to sympathize with them, to be an ear to themselves, to be a, a shoulder for, for them to cry. This is what most of them needs, not only food or clothing or physical needs. So this is what Jesus did. And we should do the same. Love is the underlying principle of God's government in heaven and earth, and it must be the foundation of the Christian character. This alone can make and keep him steadfast. This alone can enable him to withstand trial and temptation. Yes, on that point, perhaps I could ask, ask the question, what does the Bible say? When does our life just become what we might call a cacophony or just a noise, like a clanging cymbal? Uh, Nick, you want to answer that for us? Well, Will and Panel, we have a wonderful um, chapter in the Bible in uh, in First Corinthians, chapter thirteen, speaking about um, how we should. Be, but I want to take a moment just to make reference to another passage in the Bible in the Old Testament, and this is the uh, prophet uh, Micah. It's interesting that in chapter six, verse verse six to eight, uh, reads something like this: "With what shall I come before the Lord and bow before the exalted God?" And said, shall I come before him with burn offerings, with um, calves year old, uh, with uh, thousands of rams, with uh, thousands of rivers of oil? And, uh, you know, should I even sacrifice my firstborn for my transgressions and so on and so forth? In the end, he says, um, oh, mortal, what is good? And what does the law require of you? It's to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Now, as I said in uh, First Corinthians uh, chapter 13, it starts with, Though I speak with the tongues of men of, and of angels, and have no charity. You know, the King James usually using this uh, language, even though many other translations said, and have no love. Love is defined of having charity. You know, love is not just to, to say that I love you, my dear brother, take care of your needs. You know, love in action is to really put your hands on 
and do the things which God will expect you to do. And this um, chapter goes, it's, it's worth it to read it again. I know you, you may know it, my dear friend listening today, but it's worth it to read again because um, uh, it, it says here, even though I have the gift of prophecy, I understand all the mysteries of the knowledge. And though I have faith that I can remove mountains, but if I don't have charity or love, again, I have nothing. Now, Jesus speaks about that. Have faith and you can move mountains and all those things. All are important, all good. But we are called into this world as a peculiar people, a special people to really uh, address and attend, if you like, the ones in need. May God help us. Most certainly. Now, standout lesson is taught in Jesus' discussion with the rich lawyer that we should take as a guideline for our lives today. I wonder if we could quick, we could briefly tell us what Jesus is telling us in the story of the unfortunate victim of crime in Luke chapter 10. In answer to the lawyer's question, Jesus pointed out that the Samaritan who cared for the needs of the wounded traveller, he was carrying out God's will, and in that he was answering his own question, what shall I do to gain eternal life? In First John 4, the last verse, it says, whoever loves God must love his brother. Never if we go to the next chapter, chapter 5, it says, this is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. You can't have one without the other. If you love God, you must love others. If you love others, in that way, you're also loving God. Pure religion and undefiled before the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Good deeds are the fruit that Christ requires us to bear. Kind words, deeds of benevolence, of tender regard for the poor, the needy, the afflicted. When hearts sympathize with hearts burdened with discouragement and grief, when the hand dispenses to the needy, when the naked are clothed, the stranger made welcome to a seat in your parlor and a place in your heart. Angels are coming very near. Sorry, I lost the line here. Angels are coming very near, and an answering strain is responded to in heaven. Every act of justice, mercy, and benevolence makes melody in heaven. The Father from his throne beholds those who do these acts of mercy and numbers them with his most precious treasures. And they shall be mine, said the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, every merciful act to the needy. The suffering is regarded as though done to Jesus. When you succor the poor, sympathize with the afflicted and oppressed, and befriend the orphan, you bring yourselves into a closer relationship to Jesus. This comes from a book called Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, page 25. Panel, in our studies, we have suggested ways in which we can reach others, even those that are secular-minded and seem to have no interest in Holy Scripture or even God. This is one of the perplexing challenges, 
And it is only by prayer and devotion to God that we can be equipped to make use of any opportunity to reach others for help, especially the help of entering life eternal. I think we should pray and pray and pray that the Lord empowers us to instruct uh, how to touch the lives of those around us. We need the Lord's presence and guidance. And I'm going to ask Brenton to pray for us all. Mm, Certainly will. Father in heaven, I just pray today that we as a panel and those who listen will be challenged to the story of the Good Samaritan to see that our neighbour is anybody who needs our help. And secondly, that doing good deeds to others should be done with the ulterior motive that regardless of how they respond or if the circumstances were otherwise and they were the ones dishing out the um, <clears throat> the benefits, I pray, Lord, that we may realise that our devotion to you and our care for others is not based upon how others choose to respond or what they would do were they in our situation. May we realise that the story of the Good Samaritan, which was a true story, he realised that had the boot been on the other foot, he would have been spat upon and the, the man would have been kept walking and would have left him there naked and wounded and bleeding. But Jesus came to this earth because he saw our condition, our example. Our example is what Jesus did when he said that he came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And the challenge for us today as a panel and for our listeners is to see everybody through Christ's eyes. See the needy see the hungry, see the drug addict, see the lonely, see the alcoholic, see the person who is emotionally disturbed, see them as Jesus would see them, see them as potential candidates for the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, even if at the end of the day they choose not to follow you, that doesn't or should not prevent us from having the mindset of doing everything we possibly can to help them to know you as the Lord and Saviour. We thank you that your love for us is limitless. We thank you that your grace that you poured out upon us is boundless. And we just pray, Lord, that we may have that heart, that compassion that Jesus had as we go into today and for the rest of our lives. May we realise that whoever is in need, whoever is around us, is our neighbour. And may we go and do likewise. We thank you for this study in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for your participation today. A challenging uh, topic, um, but I hope that we learn uh, who is our neighbor and to consider that because we are going to deal in the next study with uh, mission to the needy. I believe that will be a very important one to uh, not just talk, but to act on um, all aspects of life. Uh, Until then, my dear friend uh, uh, listening today, we wish you God's blessings and continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus.